0: Well, over seventeen years ago, I met a cute little girl through a window, and that cute little girl became my wife. Uh, now she's just a hot woman. Uh, now <laughs> just growing up, uh, just had to say that. All right, let's get to the word. Uh, <laughs> but something that, something happened. Something cool happened. Uh, I got some side benefits. Um, when I got got married, um, and before we got married, I remember one of the first times I went over to uh, my in laws' house. And so, just kind of give you a little context: my my wife's in laws are her grandparents, or, or my in laws were my wife's grandparents. My wife was raised by her grandparents, so um, they, you know, the Depression era, you know, farm farm a lot of land in in Dallas area and stuff like that growing up. And so, um, man, you name it, they farmed it. And so I remember walking into their home in South Carrollton. And, and, you know, growing up, I ate at home. You know, I knew what it was to eat at home. But I, I don't think I really knew, and this is not a diss like on my mom or anything. So if, if my mom hears this or you talk to my mom or something like that, it's because I think some of you guys might. But uh, it's not a diss. But, but I, I, I don't think I knew what home cooking was. And I, I remember walking in and, and, and meeting my in-laws and stuff, and, and, and a meal always happens. And I remember coming to the table, and I thought, my word, when is it, it, when's this going to stop? It just, things kept coming to the table. You know, and I started getting introduced to things like cabbage. I'm like, you actually eat that? <laughs> and it because I'm like, I smell it, but I'm going to eat it. And then it was like, shoot, yeah, I'm going to eat it. Because it like had, I think, butter and salt. And I mean, it just had every, it's like, this actually is a meal, you know. It, but things start just coming to the table. You know, I thought KFC was, you know, had the, the signature chicken or all that kind of stuff. Popeye's. But fried chicken at Mama's house is some eating and mashed potatoes became kind of like this I mean I, I remember eating mashed potatoes before but now like mashed potatoes have to be this certain way but here's the kicker I'll never forget the, f- the first time this plate came to the table and I was like what in the world is this and it was just these little brown looking things just piled up and I thought this, this, has, this has high potential, right? This came after the meal. I thought, what in the world is it? Fried pies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all you had to, That's all I had to say? That's all, that's all you would have to say. Never had them in my life. I mean, I think one time, like, they, what's, what's the fast food? McDonald's, I think they, like, try to do fried pies and stuff like that. So, but fried pies came to the table, and I'll never forget asking, what in the world is in that? And she said, well, in these, they're apricots. And I'm like, all right. And I'll never forget. I began a relationship with a fried pie. <laughs> right there. And I tell you what, it is very rarely when I see my mother-in-law that I don't mention fried pies. I just developed this great appetite for him and great delight to where it's like, I'm I'm down with these things now. Rumor is, and I don't get it after 17 years, and I'm saying this in front of my wife here because hopefully there would be some work done behind the scenes. Um, rumor is there's chocolate fried pies, and I never, I I have never, and I I need to work on that. Maybe I need to ph- put a phone call in today. But but fried pies, man, never heard of them. But man, they just, I, I just developed this great appetite, this great delight. I mean, I it's strong guys, and so where if you put those things in front of me, it, it is, I will just get sick on them, and let's just develop this appetite, and I was thinking just this week, as I was reading Psalm 119, and, and I love this psalm, and I was reading this section, and in this section, the end of verse 16, and you probably heard it when Eric read it this morning, uh, the psalm that says, real simply, I shall delight in your statutes, and I want us to think about this morning. What are the things that we delight in? What are some things that we delight in? And, and, and we could name a few different things, and we delight in different things to different degrees. But what are those things? Uh, the psalm this year, five different times in this, this chapter, Psalm 119, he will say, I delight in God's word. I delight in God's word. But but here is my question this morning. Why? Psalm so, psalmist writer young man who's writing this psalm why do you delight in the word of god why so here what i want to do today i, I want to show two reasons why i believe when i look at this text and follow the trail why i believe the psalmist delights in the word of god um, and i pray today it, it's simple the answer's simple but i pray today when when we hear the answer and we think clearly of of why delighting in the Word of God is, is a big deal, I, I pray at the end of the day that we'd walk out of here just like last week. I was real tempted today to preach a safe sermon last week, just to be honest with you. Um, some of you guys would remember it. Some of you guys may not. Some of you guys weren't here. But I, I was real tempted to do that. But what I thought I'd do is just preach a different sermon with the same goal in mind. And here's the idea, is that we would walk out of here wanting to read our bibles real simple that we would read our bibles differently just like we said last week and that we would read our bibles like our life depends on it because it does real simple and so to do that today i I want us to to look at and say why does the psalmist say i delight in the word of god so many times why why So I want to follow that trail. To follow that trail, let's look at these eight verses. Okay, remember Psalm 119 is uh, the longest chapter in the Bible, divided in 22 different chapters. Uh, It's a fabric, C.S. Lewis said, that is woven together with with great intention um, and attention. It's beautiful. Um, And it begins with... uh, the hebrew alphabet a letter of each hebrew alphabet in order and it's just it's just beautifully done um, and so as you look at this psalm in this section i want to answer the question why do we light in the word of god and so the first reason we're going to find this morning guess what is is not in this section but there are seven words that are going to point us to the answer uh, but we're not going to actually find it here this morning. We're going to find it elsewhere, so I'll show you in just a second. But look at verse 9, Psalm 119. And I'm just get, these are good, we're going to do a quick read and pull some things out, um, go away from this for a little bit, and then come back to it at the end. And I'll show you how we're going to do that. But he says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. So that word, word, there. Um, we saw this last week. The psalmist is going to use, I think in total, 10 different synonyms to talk about the word of god okay and so when you think about the bible when you think about scripture he's going to use uh different words throughout this chapter uh to speak of the bible to speak of scripture and so he does that again this week and so look at verse 9 what is that word well it's word okay right and so you think oh that's real simple so what does word mean though when he says here Uh, By keeping it according to your word. Literally, word right there means simply what God says. Okay, so I'm going to keep my life according to what God says. And so I want you to think about that. And then look at verse 10. He says, with all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. And so there's the other one. Commandments, all right, is the other synonym he uses. And look at verse 11. He says, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. You And so, again, that word, word there, but that word is different. What is it? You remember last week, we looked at that same word. It's, it's found in verse 38, and it's the word promise. In the Hebrew language, um, you'll have sometimes translated into to the same word in English. is actually different in Hebrew. And so that word right there is the word promise. And so we think about God's scripture, his word, they're promises. We find them all throughout the word of God. That he is faithful and true to his promises. And look at verse 12. He says, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. And so what are statutes? They're permanent, binding words. And so as you read the word of God, that's what the word of God is. It's permanent, binding words. And then look at verse 13. He says, with my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. And so ordinances, instructions, that's also the word law. And so we look at the Bible as kind of like this guidebook for For life, And really, as we saw last week, also judicial decisions. And I love that idea because what that means is what God says is the deciding word. And so remember last week we talked about that? The insults of the world, the bullies of the world, what other people say about you. But the deciding factor is not what others say, but it's what God says. And that's what the word of God is. It's ordinances. It's deciding words. So when we read the word of God, we're hearing a deciding word. And so what it says is what God says about you is what's the real deal. That's what's true. And then look what he says again, verse 14. He says, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. And so there's the other word, testimonies. What's testimonies? It's something that bears witness to um, the God who spoke it. And so as God is speaking his word, I mean, that's what we have here. It's, It's witnessing of who he is. It's revealing who he is. It's telling the story of who God is and how he loves his people. And then look at verse 15. He says, I will meditate on your precepts. And so there's the other word. What's a precept? It's something that is charged. It's something that's appointed by someone who has ultimate authority. And so God has ultimate authority, and he gives us his precepts. Now, Christopher Ashe, a great pastor um, uh, in England, calls these words here, these seven words, seven facets of one jewel, seven facets of one jewel. But what is that jewel? Well, I will propose this this morning, that that jewel is the very thing and the very reason the psalmist delights in the Word of God. You see, these seven words that celebrate, that talk about the Word of God, as the psalmist does, points to something. It it points to the reason he delights in the Word of God, and what is that? Well, here's what I'm gonna do this morning. I I want you to, it's gonna be up on the screen, or you can turn there. I want you, we're gonna do some Bible study just for like seven minutes. Can we do that for a second? Um, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter four. Deuteronomy is gonna be over a little bit uh, to your left, and so turn your pages to the right and go. It's the first, it's the fifth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. You'll hang out there, look at chapter 4 And I want you to find The first verse In chapter 4 And so when you think about Deuteronomy It's it's part of what we call the Pentateuch It's the first five books of the Bible It's the law And so here we find ordinances We find God's commands We find His precepts And so here we find that So look look closely this morning And here's, here's our goal here i me mean, give us a few verses, and I want us to read this, and I want us to find the connection between Psalm 119 and all these different phrases, the, or excuse me, these words that he uses for the Word of God, and answer the question, why does the psalmist delight in the Word of God? And we're going to find it. And these words are going to be clues to us, and he's going to use them in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Listen to what he says. He says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes, ding, 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 and the judgments, again, which I am teaching you to perform, so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord your God of your fathers is giving you. And so I want you to hear this. God has given the word to Moses to go and to give to the Israelite people. And so he uses these sentiments. What does he say? Judgments and, and statutes. And so God has given these to them so they can go and do what? Live in the land and take possession of it. And so he's giving these words to them so they can go do that for life. And then look at verse 2. He says, You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it that which you make." Uh, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Baal Peor. For all the men who have followed Baal Peor, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. So those who have other, followed other gods, uh, God has destroyed them, has wiped them out. But look at verse four. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. See, I have taught you statutes, judgments, uh, just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them. Talking about the judgments, the laws, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, "Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people." For what great nation is there that has a God so near? Great phrase. Once you get that, what what are the nation? What are, what other people has a God so near that's huge to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on him or what great nation is there that is statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I'm setting before you today and then skip some verses look at verse 13 and I, we're going to find the word the the word that answers for us the question of why the psalmist delights in the word of God so what is what do we find here in the law we find He uses phrases like statutes and judgments and all these things have been given to God or given by God to the people so they can possess the land, live in the land, so that they can have something with God that we're gonna find out in just a second that's that's amazing, okay? look at verse 13. He says, so he declared to you his covenant which he commanded you to perform. That is the 10 commandments and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. So we we found the key word. Hopefully you know what it is. Keep it in your mind. Don't answer yet. But look, look at chapter five. Go over one more and look at two verses. Told you we're gonna do a little bit of Bible study. Then look at verse one. Moses summoned all Israel, said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes, the ordinances, which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. So do you see the words that were in Psalm 119? You do. Statutes, judgments, commands. You see that. Do you see the other word that was not in Psalm 119, but is the jewel? What is that word, you think? Covenant. You might be thinking, okay, what's your point? What's your point? Here's the point. God has given us his word these statutes, these judgments, these promises. And why has he given us his word? And the idea behind it is covenant. You might be thinking, okay, I'll be out a little bit. Think of Psalm 2510. The psalmist talks of this too. We're going we to be out of Deuteronomy. We're going to go back to Psalm 119. But think of Psalm 2510. The psalmist says this. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. To those, in Psalm 103.10, he says, who keep his covenant and remember his precepts uh, to do them. In Psalm 132.12, if your sons will keep my covenant, my testimony, which I will teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever. When you think about the word covenant this morning, what do you think of? You you may think of contract. Um, You may think of marriage. You may think of a marriage covenant. The word I want you to think of is real simple. I want you to think of relationship. Okay? Relationship. The word covenant, I think, is defined in, in one statement by God to his people. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. Okay? It's up on the screen. God says this I will take you for my people. Okay? And I will be your God. That's what covenant is. And that's what God wants with us. He says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And so God is a God of relationship. He wants a relationship with you and I. And ultimately, as we look at Psalm 119, we ask the question, why does the psalmist delight in the Word of God so much and celebrates it? It's because he has a relationship with God. And the key to that relationship, I want you to hear this this morning, is the word of God. It's the word of God. How can my wife and I have a relationship if we're not communicating, if we're not talking, if we're not, I mean, how can that happen? How can you, with your husband or wife, how can you have a relationship without communicating to one another? God has given us his word, his very words, to have a relationship with us. And the psalmist loves the word of God because when he reads the word of God, he realizes I am having a relationship with the God of the universe. And he is telling me what he wants me to know and what I need to know. He's my great help. He's my great provider. He's my shelter. He is everything I need. He is truly my God and I know him. And how do we know him? It's through his word. And so as we think about the word of God this morning, I want you to think about the word relationship. Jesus says it. He says, hey, it's, it's, it's not just about scriptures and, and about just doing all these, these things and thinking you know them in your mind. It's not just about fact, knowledge, and, and all that kind of stuff. And Man, I can, I can beat you at Bible drill. I love Bible drill. But anyway, it's not that kind of stuff. But It's not like, hey, I know this verse better than you know that verse and all that kind of things, and I know more about the Bible. No, time out. Jesus says, No, the scriptures are important because why? They testify about me, Jesus says. And so the whole goal of the Bible is to know the God of the Bible. And so that's why the psalmist sits back and says, I delight in the Word of God because I have this relationship. And that's what the Word of God is about. It points me to the one I need to know and continue to know. Think about this for a second. In the Old Testament, when we think of the word covenant, or we think of the, the people of God breaking the covenant or the law, we automatically, I mean, a lot of people think of misery. They're thinking, man. And a lot of times, that would happen to people. And we read that in Deuteronomy 4. Those who didn't follow God were destroyed in and, and the misery that sometimes the Israelites went through because they didn't follow God. But think about this, okay? Think about how God has always worked with his people. If you look at... Um, Exodus, when, when the Israelites were in captivity in, in Egypt, okay, when he went and told Moses to go before Pharaoh and that he was going to bring the people across the sea, did he go directly to them and say, hey, listen, here's these laws, okay? I'm going to give you these laws, and, and then, based on what you do, I'm going to take you across the Red Sea. I'm going to make a way for you. No. And I love this order here. I I think this is big. Because it's it's the gospel. That's what Genesis to Revelation is the gospel. And so when you think about how God dealt with his people, what did he do in Exodus? He went to his people and he said, I am going to rescue you. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to redeem you. And that's what he did. And he delivered them. He made a way for them. And then we see the law coming in right then he gives them the law you might think about this a little bit later in exodus 32 when when god tells moses and moses gets all ticked off and stuff because god was ticked off and what does he do he throws down the tablets you remember that he gets all kung fu on him and he just throws them down but why we look at that and we think of well because you know they they just didn't keep the laws and oh yes that's true but what was going on? I mean, right before that, you read that they're having this rave-like party and stuff like that, and, and, and what were they doing? They were worshiping other gods. They had started living and going after different things and wanting relationships with different gods. They were pursuing something different. They were treasuring something different than the God of the universe, than God who said, I will... Be your God and you will be my people. They were following. So ultimately what they were breaking is relationship. And that's why God was ticked and and Moses threw down the tablets. You see, it always comes back to relationship because that's what God desires. Think about the psalmist. He says in Psalm 63, verse 3, he says, Because your loving kindness, God, is better than life, my lips will praise you. And so since the word of God reveals to me the greatest treasure of all things is knowing and loving the God of the universe, there's nothing else better in this world than God. And the word of God reveals that to me. And so there is nothing more that I want to delight in than that. And so here's my question. If, if that's true, what, what brings the word of God? What makes it personal to you and I? And I think the real deal today is how does it address real life, right? Right? Because I would ask, I would pose the question, okay, how does a young man or how does a young lady or how, how does a man or lady have a relationship with God in the real world and can, and can sit back and say like the psalmist, I delight in the word of God? Because I think sometimes we treat the Bible and the people who write it, we just kind of put them on pedestals and stuff. Well, they, well, they said that, but it was, it was different, right? No, these are... These are blue-collar people, right? These are are folks that, man, they're just like you and I, dealing with temptation, dealing with the real-life stuff, just like you and I do. And he can sit back in the midst of it all and say, there's nothing else I delight in than the Word of God. And so here's what I want to do, just real simply, to kind of go back to Psalm 119, as we look at the Psalm. Because I think he's basically asking, okay, Okay, how can the word of God become personal? How can it be something that addresses my real life? And so how does he ask that? Look at verse 9, okay? We know why he delights in it, but what we're going to see eventually is why he delights in it for a second reason, okay? But look what he says. He says in verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? So what's he asking here? What's he really asking? Read that immediately, and you think, well, pure, so he just wants to know how he can live rightly, how he can live morally rightly, maybe how he can uh, be sexually pure. I mean, we think that's where we go, and yes, that is definitely part of it, but I want you to think about even bigger things, okay? Because what he's asking here, real simply, is how can I live God's way? How can my life live according to the way of God? That's ultimately what he's asking when he says, how can a young man keep his way pure, okay? And so, think about this. Psalm 24, or three through six, be up on the screen. The psalmist asks, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And so, the idea, he's asking, who can have a relationship? Who can know God, all right? And he says this, he who has clean hands in a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, and has not sworn deceitfully, okay? So it's one whose heart has been changed and who is pursuing going after God. And and so that's what the psalmist is asking. How do I live a life that that goes after God, that that lives out the way of God? And so verse nine is basically saying, how how can my heart be single-minded? How can my heart be singly after God? What I love about this too, though, if you look what he says, it says, how can a young man? Uh, I love it. This this guy's probably, if he was was in our context, he'd be probably a young 20-something millennial, and he's just asking, "How, how can I live out God's ways? But I think a great question for middle school, high school students, college students, you guys are getting ready to go back to school, great question for you guys to ask. Say, how can I live out God's ways? when I get back around my buddies I haven't seen maybe this summer as much, or when I get face to face with temptation, when I get ready to step on that, that school campus, especially the, some of you guys are going to, about to go to college, and man, it's a, it's a new world, right? And, and how do I keep my way pure? How do I live out the ways of God on this college campus? How do I do it in high school? How do I do it in middle school? Those are big questions. They're big questions for all of us. The guys and girls, men and ladies in here. So how, how do I live out the way of God when I go to, to work in the morning? How am I going to do that? How, how am I going to live out the ways of God to this function I'm about to go to or this party, birthday party I'm about to go to? I mean, we constantly, I think, should be asking that question. How should I be living out the ways of God? And what's really cool about it, I don't know if you guys ever do this. If you guys ask questions, you may do it verbally, you may do it mentally, uh, just in your mind. But then you answer yourself, right? Some of us think that's kind of weird. Like we we ask a question and we like, well, we'll answer it ourselves, right? But it's kind of cool in here. Look at what this psalmist does. He answers his question. In verse nine, he says, by keeping it according to your Word so, so how am I going to live out the ways of God? Well, by living according to what God says. That's how I'm going to do it. So here's my big question. When I think about the covenant that we just talked about, this relationship, and I think about the word of God, I start thinking to myself, okay, how does the word of God get from just being this outside book that I read to something that's inside? It's, it's like this. Because I think, I think that sometimes in our thinking, just as Christians, that's the difference between delighting, right? As I understand, this is just not merely some book that's outside of me that I just sit down and read, but this is something that's right here, right here, because it's about relationship. And so, answer that question, we'll answer it. In a couple of ways, just real simply. First thing I don't want to do is, okay, well, we've talked about covenant. Let's, let's see what covenant language tells us in the Bible. Think about this three verses. Look at Jeremiah 31. It's up on the screen. We follow the trail of what we find in the Old Testament, eventually what God, how God works in relationship with people through time. Listen to how he directs his people to what's coming. And for us, what is now and what is real And what is totally stinking awesome Alright Look what he says Jeremiah 31 through 33 in chapter 31 He says but whole days are coming They're here for us When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel And with the house of Judah Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt He says my covenant which they broke Although I was a husband to them So there's that language that relationship language He says but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. So it's this new covenant, it's a renewed covenant. He says, I will put my law within them, and on their heart, I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So there's that relationship language, but what's the key there? He says, I will put my law within them, and on their heart, I will write it. So the people of God were not living for God as they were turning their back on him, but here we have God giving a new covenant in the day of Jeremiah, a renewed covenant where he will write the law in their heart. And so what is this? This is grace. This is mercy of God towards sinners, right? This is the new covenant. This becomes fulfilled. We know this, right? When Jesus comes, this becomes fulfilled when he dies, when, when he raises again, because he is the way and the truth and life to this new covenant, to be introduced to grace. And we know on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that this becomes so real. Because on that day, the Holy Spirit begins not just being upon people, around people, doing a work in people, but now indwelling people. And so this is so revealed and fulfilled. Now someone might ask, well, what about Psalm 119? Does this guy not have the Holy Spirit working on him? No, I, I think definitely the Holy Spirit's working on him. You're right. Now he knows God, just like David, Abraham, and others in the Old Testament. You betcha. But 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 here now we know by name what they knew by f- by faith only. We know by name Jesus Christ, who has come and died for us and raised again. And that the Holy Spirit has come to indwell in us to to write the Word of God on our hearts. And, and, and so think about. Other passages in the New Testament, Acts 20, the apostles talked about this. Paul to the church, um, the elders in Ephesus, he says that he called this word the word of grace. Because that's what the word of God does. It, it reveals to us the grace of God. It, Romans 5.8 says, God has demonstrated his love toward us while we were yet sinners and that he gave Jesus to die for us. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that none of yourself it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that you may boast. And so God has now come and now we can have a relationship with him, a covenant relationship with him based on the new covenant and it's based on grace. Now how do we have access into this grace relationship? Romans 5.2 says we're introduced to this grace relationship, this new covenant through Jesus by faith. And that's how we can now know God and have a relationship with him. James 1.21 says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And so the outside word of grace comes inside, implanted on our heart. It's written on our hearts. That's a work that God does when he saves us. And he makes us pure, and he begins to give us an appetite for the word of God. I began an appetite greatly, fried pies one day, and it just grew and grew and grew. And what he wants to do is he wants to take this word, and he wants it to grow and grow and grow to where we just want to delight and read his word more and more. Why? Because it's key to have a relationship with him. And here's the thought that I would wrap up on is that this, why we delight in the word of God, the second reason is because it, we delight in the word of God because it shows us how to have a relationship with God in the real world. It impacts the right here and right now. It's not something that's detached from here and now. The word of God is relevant for every day in the real world. And so here's, here's what I want to do. Look at these verses again. And this is going to go real quick. So I want you to see this and hang on for the ride. But look what he says in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. And so real simply, you want to know how to live out the way of God in the real world. He says real simply, i got to be in this. And there's no other answer. Nothing. This. And then he says in verse 10, um, With all my heart I have sought you, God. Do not let me wander from your commandments. And so his desire, his prayer, is that his whole heart would seek the Lord and continue to, to know him. And he says the key to that is that my heart would not wander from your commandments. Well, if we're not reading the Word of God and studying the Word of God, our heart will wander from the commandments. Because we don't know them. We don't read them. And so we've got to read so our hearts don't wonder from his word. And so what is he saying here? He's saying, God, I need your help. Every time we go to the word of God, what we're saying, it's an act of saying, God, I need your help. Because, man, I don't know. Yes, it's an act of, God, I want to know you more. You betcha. But it's also saying, God, I need your help. Show me. Because I don't want to wonder from your commandments. And look at verse 11. He says, your word I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. And so that he would treasure, have stored up literally in his heart the word of God. And so this is how we keep ourselves from falling into that trap of sin. Ultimately, the psalmist doesn't want to sin because he knows that it is against God. It's breaking the relationship. He's like, man, I don't want to break this relationship. I don't want to, you know... Fall and sin and and, 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 and break and, and destroy and disrupt the relationship with God. So what does he do? He stores up the word of God. He reads the word of God. He studies the word of God. He memorizes the word of God. He meditates on the word of God. And then look at verse 12. He said, God, blessed are you. Teach me your statutes. What he's saying here is, Lord, teach me, teach me, teach me. I want to be student of the word of God. There's no other way to have the word of God stored in your heart unless god is teaching you it and there's no way would be taught it unless we're reading it and then look what he says in verse 15 drop down one because this is key he says i will meditate on your precepts and regard your way so he makes a commitment here not just to surface read not just to browse um you know I, you ever been in like waiting for a doctor's appointment and there's magazines there and stuff like that i'd I, I mean, I don't really read them. I just browse them. Well, God doesn't want us to read his word that way. He wants us to read full of attention, full of careful re- reflection, the word of God. I can't tell you how many times I sit down and I read the word of God, and I sit there and think, wait, wait, did, what did I just read, right? And we've all been there. I may have to read through it multiple times, one, to get it and understand it. I'm a little slow, and so I have to read through it several times and be like, what is this saying, what is it saying? But he wants us to have careful meditation. He says right here that I will regard your ways. Literally, look upon your ways. That takes time. And he wants us to take that time. The psalmist says, That's what I want to do. And then look what happens in verse 13 and 14. Something comes about because of this. And look what it says. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. He's saying right here, the word of God is now impacting my life. I, I, I've stored it up. I've meditated on it. It's impacting my life to the point where I'm teaching others. I'm telling others of your word. I'm letting other people know. So there's fruit that's now coming from my life. And not only that, I rejoice in your word. I, I love to read it. I love to do it. I love to obey it. And then he says right here, as much as in all riches. Isn't that amazing to think about? To say, hey, listen, I love your word more than riches of this earth, than anything else. Because why? Because it points to the relationship with you. And it, it, I get to have a relationship with God as I read the word of God. He's talking to me, and I get to, to, to hear what he wants to tell me. That's why it, it's better than anything I could ever receive on this earth. And then look at verse 16. We'll wrap up, and I want you to think about this. He says here in a basically a resolute statement, a declaration, I shall delight in your statutes. Why does he say it that way? I think because this. He knows there's a lot of other things in this world he can delight in. But he says right here, there's only one thing worthy of ultimate delight from my heart. And that's me delighting in your word, because your word points me to you your word is key to my relationship with you so he delights in it and then he says I shall not forget your word why does he say that because we do (laughs) right we do he wants to constantly be in remembrance of the word of God so that he lives according to the ways of God how can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your ways he doesn't want to forget he wants to delight he wants to rejoice in them and so what does he do he spends his time internalizing the word of God storing it up and so must we and so just real simply today I would say this the Bible is vital it's 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 God's gift to us you think about this there's two things in life my son and I were having this conversation the other day my oldest son and He corrected me. He says, Oh, God, Dad, really? There's three things. But, okay. So, there's three things in life that last forever. Okay. God, right? That's where he corrected me. (laughs) I, I thought that was a given. But anyway. So, what are the other two? Right? The soul of men will last forever. And the other is the Word of God, right? Okay. The Word of God is key, it's vital. It's everything, guys, to our relationship with God. It's everything. So, here's my deal. Let's read it. Let's read it differently. Praying like the psalmist does. God, give me a delight for your word. Give me a delight for your word. And let's read it like our life depends on it because it does. If you're here today and you're like, man, I want that relationship, I want to have a relationship with God, and maybe you've just. Maybe you've been sitting here for a long time, you've been sitting in church for a long time, but maybe you've just never had, you're you're like, man, I I don't have that appetite. I I think the appetite is is a key mark of a believer. I don't think that means that we're just, automatically we're saved and we're like, oh man, I can't wait to sit down for like five hours and just read this. I mean, that's not realistic, okay? But I mean just, That desire to say, okay, well, I want to know what God says because I want to follow His ways and I want to, I want to, I want to know Him. And so maybe you've never truly had that appetite. I I think that that can be a key indicator that I need to sit back and think about, okay, do I know God? Do I know God? Now that doesn't mean that our appetite won't wane and go back and forth, and there will be times where we have dry seasons and stuff like that. I mean, we've all been there, okay? But if you're here today and you're like, man, I. I, i've never really just delighted or loved the word like probably i should i man i want you to seriously take a, a just some evaluation here this in convicting words and, and i don't want you to ever hear from me if you don't read your bible you don't know god i mean that's i, I said that very weird but anyway i don't that's not the point because God wants a relationship. It's, it's not just do's and don'ts, and it's not like, you better read your Bible, you know, and let's put star charts up and make sure we do. I mean, that's not the point, okay? But but if if we never really have an appetite or delight to know what God says, I, I think that's the point. And so I'd, I'd ask yourself, and do, do I know God? And in the conclusion, maybe yeah. Maybe you just need to have that appetite stirred. The best way to have that appetite stirred is to go sit down and start reading, Right? Start taking some time. But if you're here your day and, and you're like, you know what? I, I've never trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've never believed. I've I've never accepted God's free gift. And, and the access to that free gift, the, the grace that He grants to us is, is trusting Him, faith in Him. And He gives that to us. And it's amazing how He does that. But if you've never had that, and you've never, just like we heard today, had the the Word of God written on our heart, the law of God written on our heart. And that happens when we trust in Christ. And that's, that's what God wants to do today. He wants to call you. And he calls you and he says, hey, come and trust me. Come and believe in me and follow me. And if you've never done that, today's a great day to do that. Just trust in Christ and his death and his resurrection. And be saved. We pray for us.